Thank you. Well, it's great you're all here. Um, I uh, wanted to tell you a, a story. Now, this story makes me sound awfully spiritual and like a very good parent, but would it be okay to tell it anyway? Okay. <laughs> it was a Sunday afternoon, and I said to my kids, why don't we do uh, church on the sofa? We went to church in the morning anyway, but it doesn't do any harm, does it? And so we all jumped on the sofa. We've got this big sofa in our sitting room. And I've got three children, uh, Reuben, who is uh, nine, Matilda's 11, and Joseph's 14. And I said, let's read the book of Jonah. So little, this was a couple of years ago. Little Reuben read a, a couple of verses, and then Matilda read the first chapter, and Joseph and I shared the ref, rest of the story. And uh, you all know the story of Jonah very well, of course. And at the end of the story, I, I turned to Matilda, and I said, Matilda, what do you think of Jonah? And uh, Matilda said, well, uh, Jonah was a bit of a coward, um, because whenever he was asked to do something uh, challenging, uh, by God, he ran away. I thought, okay, yeah, fair enough. Maybe he was a coward. And I said to little Reuben, I said, Reuben, what do you think of Jonah? And uh, he said, Daddy, he said, uh, he said, Jonah, Jonah had an anger management problem. <laughs> and I said, well, why is that? He said, well, well you know, when, when things went wrong, he got really angry with, with God and really angry with himself and people around him. And then I turned to Joseph and I said, uh, Joseph, what do you think uh, of Jonah? And uh, he said, uh, Daddy, he said, uh, I think, Jonah's a real drama queen. Um, you know, he made a mountain out of a molehill every time something happened. You know, and I just thought it was lovely just to hear um, the perspectives of three children about the life of Jonah. And so I want, and it caused me to think, well, Matt, what do I think about Jonah? And I'd like to ask you this morning, what do you think of the story of Jonah? And you may think, what's this got to do with civic prayer breakfasts? But, but we'll get there. So. I just want to read, I won't, we won't read the whole thing, but I want to read chapter 3 of the book of Jonah. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Remember, Jonah had been asked by God to go to Nineveh. Um, so God spoke to him a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Remember the first time he ran away, ended up in the belly of a whale, got spat out. Um, now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his robes, royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles... Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? 
God may yet relent and have compassion, turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. I I find this an incredible story, that this city of Nineveh, they weren't Israelites, they weren't believers in Yahweh, and yet God sent Jonah to them to declare this message that God was going to destroy the city. And Jonah communicated in such a way as they not only heard what he said and understood what he said, but they responded. And even the king ordered an edict that basically people should fast, that they should believe in God and they should repent. I mean, it doesn't use those words, but you know, they shall not eat, they shall not drink, they must not do this or that, must wear sackcloth. There was a, there was a, a turning to, to God and an expression of regret. And, and so sincere was this repentance in Nineveh that God actually relented and didn't fulfill his promise to destroy the city, his threat to destroy the city. And so when I read the story of Nineveh, what I think is that when we can learn to speak to our city, to our town, to our village, to our community, in a way that they can understand. It can be enough to invoke prayer and a changing of their ways. It can be enough to lead to repentance, to transformation, to a, uh, not not necessarily everybody coming to church, but certainly people uh, living in, awe and fear of God and so over the years I've asked myself how can we as the church speak to our place speak to our community in such a way that they will hear and understand and respond and one of the uh, approaches that I've seen used in many different contexts in rural communities um, in big cities like Birmingham uh, and, and, and in small towns um, is to host a civic prayer breakfast. Now, one of the things that Cinnamon Network does is lots of people think we're very creative as a charity. We're actually not. We don't actually create very much. We have this philosophy, this approach, which is to see what God is already doing through his church in communities and see what he's doing, what's working, and join in and do more of that. And what Cinnamon Network is, has developed expertise in is finding those things that work really well and then helping package them in a way that they can be given to other churches and other communities. And so we looked around the United Kingdom and we saw an, a range of villages, towns and cities running civic prayer events. And many of those um, communities ran those civic prayer events on an annual basis. 
So we reviewed about 20 civic prayer breakfasts that were run in different sorts of communities, run in slightly different ways, and we captured all the best ideas from them, and we put it into a little booklet um, uh, that is kind of offers best practice if you want to do a civic prayer breakfast. So whilst I remember, um, if... Um, It's a doodle on that side, so ignore that one. But on this side, if you would like a copy of that um, Civic Prayer Breakfast booklet, if you... Somebody got a pen? Thank you. If you'd like a copy of that booklet, write your name, your email address, and I will arrange for a link to that booklet to be sent to you. If you don't want it, it's fine. But if you'd like a copy, I'll get my PA to send that to you um, in the next few days. Um, we'll only use your email for that one purpose and then throw it away. So you're not signing your life away to something. Uh, unless you want to say to us, keep in touch. But we'll just send you that uh, Civic Prayer Breakfast booklet. So I wanted to talk a little bit about what we discovered about what really worked in hosting a civic prayer breakfast and what the impact was on communities. Would that be okay? So um, one of the things that became very clear was this was not a civic service. Uh, these events are not hosted in churches. The most effective civic prayer breakfasts are hosted in civic space in a civic hall or a town hall or somewhere that is not seen as a religious uh, venue. And that was common throughout. Um, one of the other things that we discovered is that often leaders in their community would say that this was the most, um, the most strategic event in their calendar each year the most strategic event in their calendar. And it was the most useful way of the church building relationships across the community. Um, and something else we discovered was that often these civic prayer breakfasts weren't just attended by Christians. There were people of no faith or uncertain faith who also chose to attend. And it's one of the very powerful things about prayer. Um, throughout my life, I've met people you know, who have had a moment of crisis and, uh, or a, a difficult, uh, at a difficult stage of their life. Uh, and whether they're Christian or not, or another faith, I've, I've always said to them, would you mind if I pray for you? And do you know what? And this may be your experience as well. I've never known anybody ever to say no. Ever. And, and, I, and I normally, then they say yes, and I say, can I pray for you now? And again, I've never, ever known anybody to say, no, thank you very much. Um, so th what's, what's been very powerful about these civic prayer breakfasts is actually um, the offer of prayer is something that people do not decline, is my experience. Um, especially if they're a bit desperate. <laughs> um, and so what we uh, discovered was that when these civic prayer breakfasts engaged people from the police and from the local government and from schools, 
and from hospitals and from different sectors of community and actually got them to come to the event and, and uh, uh, to take, to, just to, to be there whilst these prayers were said. And sometimes, you know, you know a Christian policeman or a Christian teacher who will be willing to say a prayer for all the schools in the community or all the hospitals in the city or whatever the focus might be. And, and so we discovered that there were that these breakfasts were best when it wasn't led necessarily by, or when it wasn't the religious professionals who did all the upfront stuff, but where it was people in the marketplace, in the workplace, who were actually leading the prayers, praying for their colleagues, for praying, praying for their sector. And so one of the things that um, I did in particular was I wanted to create a framework for engagement and uh, I, I created um, well I, I, yeah I did I created a, a, a seven sector framework um, for helping churches think who do I need to speak to and these are the seven and uh, some of you may think oh this sounds familiar like something else and there are some similarities to what you may have heard before and uh, the first is uh, people in business The second is people in education. The third is people in uh, health and well-being. The fourth, people in media, arts and entertainment. The fifth, people in politics and government. The sixth, people in policing and security. The seventh, people involved in community and family. Now, the way I remember the seven is because there's seven days in the week, I actually adopt this as a personal prayer rhythm so each day of the week, I pray for people uh, in different sectors of society. So on a Monday, I start the business week, I pray for people I know in business. So I pray for businesses that might be in trouble. I pray for Christian friends who are business owners. And I just let God lead me. And on Monday, I pray particularly for them. Um, on Tuesday, because it's also you know, near the start of the week, I pray for education. I pray for teachers, I pray for schools, I pray for, the, I pray for my kids at school. I pray for different people I know who, who are head teachers. Um, on Wednesday, I pray for people involved in healthcare and well-being. I pray for nurses, doctors, dentists, uh, community nurses. Uh, on Thursday, I pray for people in media arts and entertainment because I, I love jazz. And if I can go on a Thursday night to a jazz club, uh, so it reminds me that on Thursday, I pray for media arts and entertainment. On Friday, I pray for people in politics and government because uh, politicians are normally in their constituencies on Friday. Uh, so I pray for then Saturday, uh, I remember, oh, it's football matches, oh, police and security. So it prompts me on Saturday to pray for our policing uh, and security services. And on Sunday, community and family. And so that's the rhythm I've personally uh, adopted. And, uh, and so we offer this seven-sector framework to churches and say, actually, if you want to run a civic prayer event... Why don't you go and meet a key person in your community involved in business, education, health, media, government, policing and community and family life and sit down with them. It may be somebody you already know or it may mean actually reaching out to somebody and introducing yourself to them and arranging a first meeting. And in that conversation, asking them what the greatest challenge the police are facing within the community at the moment. Or with the head teacher saying, what is the greatest challenge being faced by this school and other schools in, in the town? Or sitting with a business owner saying, you know, what are the greatest challenges uh, to the business community? 
at the moment, or sitting with a journalist, um, or somebody who works in the entertainment industry, and saying, what are the greatest challenges for you? And then asking them, explaining to them that you're hosting a civic prayer event, and how you'll be praying, you'd love to pray for that need at the event, and would that be okay? And as I said, people don't very often decline prayer. Um, and and they said, that would be wonderful. In fact, it's going to be at the town hall. Would you like to come? And it's amazing that people will say, yes, we'd love to come. And so this is the, I'll, I'll send you the booklet, but this is the approach that we encourage churches to use who want to run a civic prayer breakfast. So it doesn't just turn into a bunch of Christians uh, meeting to pray for the community. And there's nothing wrong with a classic prayer meeting, but this, this is a civic prayer meeting. And, uh, and it's just a great way of getting people from different sectors, from different environments involved, people who are Christians and who aren't Christians, and blurring the boundaries, but being very clear that we're praying to Jesus for answers to these challenges that people are facing. And uh, the, the results have been remarkable. Um, uh, there was one prayer breakfast that, uh, that, that we inspired and uh, they invited the mayor and uh, his wife, or it might have been the mayor and her husband, I can't remember which way around it was, but they both came to the civic prayer breakfast. And at the end of the prayer breakfast, they presented the, 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 the woman with a bunch of flowers and the, the man with, I don't know what it was, but they just, and they just said publicly, in front of the community leaders, thank you. And the mayor and his wife were so moved. They'd never... I mean, in pub as a leader in public life, there isn't much appreciation. <laughs> there isn't much gratitude. I mean, these people really are public servants. And they were overwhelmed because they'd never been thanked like that in public before and appreciated and honoured. And so these events provide a great opportunity to honour people. I mentioned yesterday that... Um, uh, the city of Lincoln, who had supported to do the Cinnamon Faith Action Audit, which is a, a tool to help the churches in a, in, a, in a community measure their social and economic impact. And they launched that uh, to the city leaders. And uh, remember I said the city said, we'd love to work with the churches, but there are too many churches. So the churches said, what if we formed a network <laughs> so that you only had one person to speak to when you want to talk with us and uh, consult with us? And they said that would be great. And now Lincoln have got six work streams that they're working on between the church and the city, uh, the city, uh, city government. And they hosted just recently a civic prayer breakfast. And they were able to bring into that prayer breakfast all sorts of civic partners from across the city that they're working with and say prayers to Jesus for the life of the community. It was remarkable. It's a great way of us being really open and transparent about why we do what we do in the community because of our love for God. And just... And I would encourage anybody running a civic prayer breakfast to, to just be really bold and really confident. Don't do freaky prayers that scare people. You know, um, I mean, sometimes if you come across intercessors, intercessors are wonderful people, but sometimes they can be a bit freaky and a bit off the wall and, and bless them and wonderful. You don't want them leading the prayers of these things. You need people who can say prayers that are accessible you know, to people of faith and no faith. To very clearly put Jesus at the centre 
but to do so in a way that's accessible to people regardless of their religious experience. And so now there have been dozens and dozens and dozens of these prayer breakfasts. And any one time we're talking to, I mean, I just, uh, where was it? Southampton. I got a, a, an email yesterday from a leader in Southampton. He says, we would like to run a civic prayer breakfast in Southampton. And so all the time we're in conversations with villages, towns and cities who want to run a civic prayer breakfast. And it becomes, once they've done it once, it becomes part of their annual calendar. Because it's just such a great way of reaching out and building relationships across the community and the different sectors of the community. And, and then inviting people to an event where it's very clearly it's about Jesus, but actually praying in a way that other people find accessible. And how God answers those prayers is, is up to him. Uh, but it's really important that we're faithful in prayer, isn't it? So the Bible encourages us to do. So this is what we've learned about civic prayer breakfasts. And so you're coming back to Jonah. You know, what I learned from Jonah is that he communicated his faith. He communicated God's call in his life to Nineveh in such a way that they understood, that they could hear and understand and respond to. And civic prayer breakfasts, I believe, are one way that we can communicate to the leaders of our village, of our town, of our city, in a way that they can understand. They all have needs. Everybody's stretched. And the offer of a prayer for all the schools, all the businesses, uh, all the people involved in policing and security, uh, parents and family life, they, the, the, people are just going to say, yes, let's pray. And in fact, the, the Times newspaper ran a, an article on civic prayer breakfasts. Um, I'll see if I can get that sent to you as well, as well as the little, the little booklet. But it was remarkable that the Times newspaper were writing, you know, it was, I can't remember the headline, it was, um, in fact, let me find it very quickly. The Wonders of Modern Technology. Uh, here we go. Articles. Um, there we go. The headline was Civic Leaders Start Praying to Renew Our Towns and Cities. Local authorities are being encouraged to ask God to help them to revamp public services and reach out to the needy, Damien Arnold writes. Civic leaders across the country are so desperate at the state of public services that they are literally turning to prayer in the hope that God can help them sleep at night. <laughs> it's a journalist, isn't it? <laughs> It is hoped that as many as 200 civic prayer breakfasts will take places in town halls across Britain over the next few months. As council leaders say yes to invitations from their local churches to name the issues that are worrying them most and join in with faith leaders to pray for resolution. The initiative has been launched by Cinnamon Network, a Christian charity that engages with churches of all denominations to enable them to serve those in need in their local community. Already civic prayer breakfasts have taken place in Stoke-on-Trent, Bolton, York, Eastbourne, Swansea, and events are planned for London, Edinburgh, Lincoln, Bristol, Belfast, Folkestone, Jersey. Um, it's a little quote from me. Anyway, I'll send, I'll send the article to you as well. But it's remarkable that, 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 a, that a, a mainstream newspaper would actually write about the Christian church praying. We're not praying to fill our buildings. We're praying for our communities. 
We're praying for the needs of people around us because people never, or I've never known anybody to ever decline prayer when they're at a moment of difficulty in their lives. So, what questions do you have? Um, some of you just walked into the seminar um, without, without agenda. Others of you were kind of thinking, oh, is this, is this a tool? Is this a model that we could use in our local community? So, so what questions and comments do you have? Was it Richard and Graham? You came yesterday, so I was... <laughs> Richard, what's it? Oh, and... The form. Yeah. We... Oh, was it? Okay, great. So initially we called them civic prayer events because we wanted to be generic. We thought, because it doesn't have to happen at breakfast, does it? Could be lunchtime, could be afternoon tea, could be evening. And, uh, but we've actually changed it, and now we call them civic prayer breakfast, because everywhere that's ever done it has done it at breakfast. Um, and the, the, the breakfast is normally no more, no more than about an hour and a half, an hour and a quarter. Um, and uh, do you know what? There's something powerful about eating with people. And, and, and whether it's a full English or a croissant and cheese and uh, charcuterie, you know, actually, you know, a hearty breakfast helps. And, and, and just sitting at a table and eating with people, it's just, you relax, don't you? You sit down with somebody for a one-to-one meeting face-to-face and you've got to keep talking. But when you're actually with somebody over a meal, it's just a lot more relaxing. You know that you're there for an hour and just take your time. And so actually food has been a really important element of a programme. Um, Some places will sing a hymn or a song, but most places don't sing very much. Because again, this isn't for the saints alone, this is for the community. In fact, the little booklet we'll send you, um, we actually, well I I asked um, a, a, a songwriter I knew, if he would take a hymn with a tune that is very well known, and write a civic uh, write a hymn that would go with the tune. So in this little booklet um, is, uh, uh, is, is, a, is a civic hymn that was written. And, uh, and often I, I went to a, a civic prayer breakfast in Brussels. <laughs> and I stood up and guess what they were singing? They were singing the, 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 the hymn that Cinnamon commissioned. It was amazing. Um, so, uh, so sometimes there's a song or a hymn but not, not a, a big part of it. Um, there are lots of prayers from the front led by different civic leaders. And in the little booklet I'll send you, we actually asked seven leaders from those seven sectors, so a politician, a policeman, etc., to write a prayer that they might pray at such an event. And so some civic prayer breakfasts we've been to or heard about have actually used those prayers. And somebody who, who would be happily read a prayer but wouldn't write one or say one spontaneously can actually read a prayer from the booklet. So we've really tried to make it easier. So there's normally um, a good amount of prayer um, covering different parts of the community. Some people, um, there are, some events have bre- uh, prayer at the tables, although that can sometimes be uncomfortable. So if they do, they have a designated prayer. So you're not saying, oh, let's pray together now, and you have a go. It's, it's more, oh, I'm the designated prayer, let me, let me say a prayer type thing. Um, so there's a big prayer element. Um, sometimes there's a speaker, but it's not a long uh, speech. Uh, and it's normally somebody um, who has a senior role in, in, in public leadership. So in the booklet that I'll send you, there is a draft programme 
uh, of what a typical civic prayer breakfast program might look like that you can take as a, a straw man to then adapt. So it's a bit of food, good amount of prayer, uh, perhaps a speaker, perhaps a hymn, a well-known hymn, um, and, and, and that, that's, that's, that's the, the mainstay of, of the event. And sometimes there's an interview. You know, they might choose to interview a, um, the Member of Parliament or choose to interview a, a mum um, or choose to interview a local journalist. Um, yeah, so th those are the elements that kind of take part. But it's, it's not a church service, so it's important to kind of just kind of shake that off a little bit and not default. <laughs> uh, but there's a template in the booklet. Good question, guys. Yeah, so it, prayer breakfasts tend to be um, cross-church. Um, so often it's the initiative of a network of churches in the community, or churches together or whatever it might be. Um, but as I said, often, but the, the, the ones that work really well um, are not run by the churches together because these kind of things don't work well by committee. Normally there's a, an enthusiast. I, I, went, I spoke at one, actually, um, a prayer breakfast in Sussex, and it was run by a teacher in one of the local schools. And uh, they put it on in a, um, a stately home <laughs> owned by a Christian family in Sussex. And uh, they had people there from all over the county. Uh, and and, and the, the teacher was the catalyst for making it happen. So, uh, yeah, it's normally a, 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 an enthusiastic uh, leader in, in the community or, or a network of churches um, that kind of are the, kind of the triggers behind it happening. Uh, but with all these things, it takes a driver. Uh, ultimately, there has to be somebody who takes this and owns it, but they, they, win, the, uh, they win the support of others uh, along the way. Hmm. I did say that, didn't I? <laughs> Oh, thank you. Um, so the, the comment was made by Graham that uh, these prayer events aren't prayers to fill the building. They're prayers for the community. Yes, no, yes, yes. <laughs> these, these aren't prayers to fill the church building. They're prayers to bless the community. Um, you know, Abraham was called by God. And God promised Abraham that he would be blessed and be a blessing to the nations. And sometimes our, our Christianity, um, we get into, uh, it, it, we, we get selfish. <laughs> we, we think we're blessed to be blessed. But the Bible is very clear in the Abrahamic faith that we're actually blessed to be a blessing. So the 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 blessing that we experience from God, the goodness of God that we experience, is not for our self-pleasure and our self-indulgence and to make ourselves feel good about us and God. God actually gives us in abundance so that we can give to others in abundance. And for me, it's a, it's a theological mindset that we're not blessed to be blessed, we're blessed to be a blessing. And, and, and prayer is... Prayer is a blessing, isn't it? And, you know, uh, one pastor friend of mine, he says, uh, you know, I, I'm not praying to get, I'm not, I'm not trying to get people into the church. I'm trying to get the church into the community. That's what he says. I'm not trying to get the community into the church. I'm trying to get the church into the community. 
and it's that kind of that reckless love uh, and selflessness, you know, to others. And I, I think that that theological mindset is is really important, you know, because it's so particularly when when your church isn't growing. I mean, it's a bit difficult, you know. Think, we need some more people, um, and it's so easy to get caught up in that. Let's build our thing. Um, but I was, I'm always reminded that Jesus said, "I will build the church." You know, He'll build the church. It's our job to to love people and love the community. Do you mind if I come back? Sure. Yeah. yeah. So the, just for the recording, the, the question back from Graham was saying, actually, perhaps this, it's not about selfishness. It's about um, do, we, do we invite people to come or do we go? There's a very famous theologian, missiologist theologian, called David Bosch, who wrote a thick tone called Transforming Mission. He very tragically died in a car accident. And uh, he traced um, church history and the, ch the history of God's mission through the church into six epochs. And uh, it was a while ago since I read the book. Um, but I remember one epoch was, it was all, each epoch was based on a particular scripture. And one of the epochs was um, um, about Jesus going out and inviting people to come in. And it was an invitational uh, uh, era of mission. But one of the later epochs was very much about go into all the world. And it was about being sent and going. And I think, I think in a post-Christian liberal culture, I think the paradigm of mission we're in at the moment isn't about, oh, invitation, come to us. It's about us needing to go to the community. Um, so a very, very thoughtful reflection. Thank you, Graham. But uh, if you've got time to read the book, Transforming Mission is, uh, is a good read, although uh, not an easy one. <laughs> Any other thoughts? Remind me of your name, sir. Ian. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, the guy I know who's a teacher who runs one, um, he's just a very, he's a real relational person, a real catalyst. And I know lots of things have sprung out of it for him. Um, I, his name is um, Justin. I could connect you to him by email if you'd like. Uh, but he would be able to speak firsthand about what have been the outcomes for him. And so I, I think it's because he leads on community engagement for the school, and it's a public school. So there's a particular onus on them to give back. Uh, and so I think, I think he would be talking about the value of the rich relationships that have been built across, across Sussex uh, as a county and how that's probably led to other things that have done to help them engage in the community. But I could connect him with you if you like. Yeah. So when you get sent the email, if you just reply back and say, oh, can you introduce me to that teacher? I'll check his name. <laughs> other comments or questions? Thank you, Ian. <coughs> yeah. Absolutely essential. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good question because you find an enthusiast who wants to do it and they can go and deliver it 
but unless it's involved, engaged the churches, it's a failure. Sometimes you can find a group of churches who want to do it, but there's nobody who's willing to step forward and lead it. And it's not either or, you need both and. You need this inspired individual, if you like, and you need the buy-in of the churches. Um, and different communities, it can, it, some communities have a very active church network of church leaders, and other communities where the churches are quite divided. Um, and, uh, you know, and obviously here in Northern Ireland, there are cross-community issues to add to that. Um, I, I think the easiest way for an inspired individual to get buy-in from the churches is to work with a pre-existing network of people who know each other across the churches and to get them to say, yeah, we'd love to do this and you do it and we'll work with you. I, I think that's the best way. The challenge is where you've got an inspired individual but there's no pre-existing network across the churches because that inspired individual then has to go and meet the church leaders in the different churches win their trust, uh, win their trust to work with one another. And some church leaders are more willing to work with others. Um, it's so easy for churches to become very um, divided because, you know, I'm a this and I'm a that and different. You know, we, we, we claim our distinctives and use our distinctives, which are, I think our distinctives are good, but sometimes we use our distinctives as reasons not to work with others who don't share our distinctives. My experience of church unity is there are only two things that unite the church. One is Jesus and one is the, the community. Uh, every other issue, churches will divide over. And I think, you know, I think it takes somebody of great winsomeness to persuade people uh, that we should uh, work on primary issues, not secondary issues. And also challenge them sometimes that that actually isn't a primary issue. How you baptise people... I would argue, is not a primary issue about us working together. Um, or your, the governance of how your, of your ecclesiastical structure of your church and how governance and church leadership works and whether you have women elders or not. That isn't a primary issue in terms of how we work together. But sometimes, sadly, churches use these and other issues as reasons not to work together because we don't agree. Um, and I think that's sad. Uh, and I think when it comes to working with other churches, I think if other churches love Jesus and uh, they have a concern for the community and the place where God has put us, I personally think that's enough uh, of a basis to be able to work together. Um, but it can be very challenging. Yes, the, answer, the short answer is yes. Just to give you a little bit of history, um, yeah, where are we now, 2018, uh, 2017, when did Parliament... Uh, the, uh, uh, the Northern Ireland Assembly dissolved, was it last? January. Yeah, January. So we had worked hard as Cinnamon Network to build a coalition of, uh, of uh, parliamentarians at Stormont who would work together to host a civic prayer breakfast at Stormont. It was going to be in March 2017. And it was all lined up. Everybody was really exciting. And the vision was, let's model this Let's host one of these at Stormont, and then let's find inspired individuals. In, is it 13, uh, 12 or 13 super or local authorities now you've got? How many is it? 
I think it's 12 now. Uh, anyway, if, if you don't know, I don't know. That doesn't matter. <laughs> it's 12. Uh, and then to find inspired individuals in each of the 12 superlocal authorities to then actually run those at a local authority level. So that was the plan. <laughs> and then things uh, dissolved and you know, we, we couldn't do it. So we would still love to find somebody who we could support to actually run civic prayer breakfast at a town hall level. And the answer might be to find one person who would run it in one of those 12 areas and do it once and then use that as a model and a case study to then encourage others to do the same. Uh, I'd love to see that happen. You know, so if anybody's sat there and thinking, oh, I could do that. <laughs> um, you know, it's, <clears throat> we, we would do all the hand-holding um, that you would need to, to deliver it. Um, it. In one sense, it's quite simple, but it does require a lot of relationships. That's what makes it work, you know, because you're still inviting somebody to an event, so you've got to be, you, you, you've got to know people. People have got to trust you. Uh, you've got to win the trust of church leaders and seven, the, the leaders in seven different sectors if you follow that particular model. Um, but it's something we'd love to do, James. So maybe we should talk more about it. <laughs> Any other thoughts or questions? We can finish a little bit early if we'd like. Graham, yeah. I was joking, but for the recording. Okay, okay. especially for the recording. Uh, I happen to be uh, part of a group of Christians in North Down. Uh, we are, have been now painfully slow, over three years working together, or learning to work together as churches to address the issue which was touched on yesterday, the provision for older people in our churches and in the community. Basically, to get away from the idea that when you get to a certain age, you have nothing more to contribute. And also to address the issue of loneliness and solitary living. Uh, and we've been working together, trying to find our way. And I think it was in God's providence that we heard of Cinnamon Network. And... Uh, contacted them and there's a local rep Tommy I can't remember Tommy's Stewart. Tommy Stewart yes who has met with us uh, and he has been immensely helpful because he's helped us begin to think strategically much more strategically than we had do, been doing and to think more intentionally and uh, have a clearer sense of purpose and where we're going and uh, we're actually meeting with Tommy uh, about a couple of weeks time again because he's asked us to think in terms of a plan and uh, I think that's been really valuable and we have really valued the support that we have received from Cinnamon up to this point of time. Graham, thank you for that lovely testimony. <laughs> I, shall, I shall mention it to Tommy, <laughs> and uh, I'm sure we'll have a great time together. But th that's what we love doing, is walking alongside a church, or particularly a group of churches where they're willing to work together. 
and helping them on the next stage of the journey of how they're going to impact you know, the community. Any other comments or questions? So I'd just like to close just thinking about the response of the king in Nineveh. And I'll reread just the uh, just that section. Because uh, this man's not a believer. But this was his response to the way that Jonah engaged in the city. And although he doesn't use religious words, it's quite incredible what his heart response was uh, to what Jonah said. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them, let them eat or drink. Fasting. Doesn't call it, that's what it is. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Regret. Let everyone call, doesn't say pray, it says let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Father, I want to pray for each community represented here that you will enable these leaders to talk to their community, whether it be a village, town or a city, to talk to their community in such a way as they will hear and understand. And that there might be a, uh, it might invoke such an incredible response that people actually might turn and pray. And that transformation might take place. We pray not to fill our church buildings with people, but we pray for our communities. We pray for lives, for families, for streets and neighborhoods to be transformed by the love of Jesus Christ. Amen.